1: Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I am not your expert layman, Matt Goodwin. He is off this week. But instead, I'm the person he loves to pick on, fake baseball economist Alexander Chase. In his stead, I have Pitcherless contributor Nate Schwartz for a conversation about how the first third of the season has changed our mind so far. Nate, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Alexander? It's, uh, it's going pretty well here. Uh, so I'm sure as a, like, an expert, long-time listener and all that stuff, you know that we love to talk about the weather here as we get started. I'm going to try not to do that um, for once in my life. Uh, it's good to have you on, though. Uh, so this is it's funny. So like, Matt and I like obviously don't live in the same city, uh, and we do. So how has like, DC been treating you this spring? It's
2: really funny. I, uh, I just started a new job a couple of weeks ago out of college, and as someone who is very much a winter person and likes the cool weather i've decided that washington dc is the place that i want to be and <laughs> somehow i'm going to tolerate 95 degree weather consistently and uh-huh, i'm already man. not a fan
1: yeah it, it's been a weird thing for me to realize like i want to live in this exact part of the country it's like exactly as hot as i can regularly tolerate having been like a 105 max out person like in texas as a kid but it's also about as cold as I regularly want it to be. It's definitely like the mama bear of the United States in that regard. Uh, also, no wildfires. So, you know, no West Coast options because I'm trying to avoid my house catching fire in the future. So
2: That's usually a good thing, yeah. Yeah. So,
1: any uh, California-based folks, Colorado-based folks, I really hope y'all are staying safe. That's, like, not something I really want to kid about, but it is unfortunately kind of where we have to be. I um, hope we can kind of, like, get spared all of that this summer in terms of baseball stuff. Um yeah, how how is the post college stuff treating you? Also, I, I'm it's interesting that we we are probably both on the young side as people who like care about fantasy baseball go. Uh, so that's not a question I would get to ask someone very often. But how, how have things been going for you?
2: It's good. It's uh, it's really exciting to finally wrap stuff up. I figured out what I was doing next, and also having having all of the pitcher list content and articles that I'm writing in the background and going along, it just, it felt like a nice natural step forward, and uh, I'm doing really well, and it's, uh, it's very exciting stuff. Here,
1: so I, I figure uh, a good place before I bug you about the few odds and ends that uh, I know I have to bug you about, why don't you, like, tell us what you're all about, like, PitcherList wise, and, like, what you've been doing uh, since you joined the crew. So,
2: I joined uh, PitcherList in December, writing for the Going Deep team, I'm mostly pitcher focused, but I was actually looking back on some of my previous articles and I've written, I think, about more hitters specifically for some reason. I don't know how that happened, but I'm a very much a a pitcher focused guy and I've been able to do some fantasy content, some going deep content. I've written for the newsletter and uh, active in the discord, join it. It's a great place to be, Um, but yeah, it's been great to... Actually meet all of the the contributors at the site you included. It's been a it's been a good couple of months. Yeah,
1: it's it's been fun having you around. Uh, I I did for those of you guys who don't know, managed to uh, talk Nate and a handful of other people into uh, starting up a dynasty league. That we've like I've like made some odd notes about trades and my team being bad, and he is one of the people who's ahead of me in the standings, uh, which is fun. Uh, it's a weird league. <laughs> it's, a really it's all over the place. League. Yeah, it's 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 funny how that sort of stuff is the thing that like keeps my attention, just because like the chaos factor of it all. Um, but yeah, like from like an actual like paying attention to baseball and writing about it, I also know what you mean in terms of like the you think you're focused on something and then you just end up doing random other stuff. I wrote about relievers for a year. Um, like every week it was not something I was really jazzed about at first. And then I was like, this is kind of chaotic and fun. And that's kind of just been the tagline. That's like organized a lot of the work that I've picked up in the past. So, um, yeah, I, I recently read your piece on Jordan Alvarez, which I thought made some, uh, interesting kind of points about just like how luck works. There is like a, a particular way that you group some data. And that's like exactly as nerdy as it sounds that I thought was really funny that I'll bring up again later. Uh, and then you had a piece on Zach Gallon, which has aged pretty well because he's been pretty good. So yeah, among those or anything else, what is it you've kind of been like most excited about writing or putting out there this year so far?
2: I think some, honestly, I've really just, as I started writing and getting into the space, putting out my just kind of brief, like I do it in 20 minutes, uh, break, breaking down a start on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just a raw, what do I think of a guy? What are they doing? Well, and basically going through my everyday process of looking at a savant page and seeing like, what do I like? What, what steps out to me? It's very nice to, you know, put it in a, a published article and get it out. And it it is a good piece of work with nice data visualizations and stuff like that. But I just, I spend a lot of my mornings or afternoons cruising through uh, savant pages and fan graphs pages and leaderboards and, you know, what sticks out to me and being able to put that out and like, what actually gets my mind going. Uh, Maybe it only fascinates me, but uh, I'd like to believe that there are other other people who care uh, for who's doing
1: well in the fantasy baseball world. I I hate to inform you that you're on the right podcast then, uh, because if there were like, I don't know, an article for every 10 times I spent like 45 minutes just looking into like some dude and why he has been awful or not. Um, I'd have like a lot more (laughs) articles written than I currently do. I'm a bad habit of that. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is unfortunately kind of like the place that any of my odds and ends of like, Hey, I, I checked out a dude and I want to talk about him end up rather than like written, which is just a weird thing. Um, so I, I get exactly what you mean about all that. Uh, I also know, uh, for better and for worse that you're a cardinals fan and because you're definitely for better (laughs) (laughs) because you're younger than me um and i lived in texas at the time there's like an interesting like seminal but not seminal moment overlap here you were saying before we got on that like the The Brad Lidge, Albert Pujols home run that has haunted the nightmares of a lot of my friends from Houston who will bring it up unprompted to me all of the time was like not something that like really registers on like the Fandom Richter scale for you in the same way. It definitely does. Uh, There's a
2: running joke between uh, my dad and I after I gave up a home run when I was 11 years old that the ball was sent into the same orbit that Albert Pujols (laughs) hit that homer against Brad Lidge. And I, uh, every now and then like driving at night, it'd be like, Oh, Hey, look, it's those two baseballs that have not come down yet. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, that was, uh, probably to, uh, the unfortunate realization of how young I am to people listening to this, uh, before my time of actually remembering baseball, uh, But I do have just fond memories of literally every time I'd turn on the TV, uh, he would have (laughs) homered. And it's just like, I don't think enough people uh, today recognize how absurd he was in the twenty ten or the 2000s.
1: Yeah. I mean, like there was, there was a moment in the early 2010s. I have to like look back and actually recall it like, Albert Pujols was a good baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels. I don't know if he was a good play- baseball player for the Los Angeles Angels. They probably renamed something else. It's surprising at this point that they haven't had like a sponsorship in their name or something like that. But That's, it's a whole other thing. Uh, but like, yeah, like I was like looking at like his page. Cause you know, he's old and it's fun for me to talk about people being old. Um, and it just, it's something that I have to actively remember is that he didn't fall off a cliff immediately. It kind of took him a little while, but like you do have those good Cardinals beating people. Thanks to pools memories. I am assuming though.
2: Oh yes, uh, definitely. Uh, there are more than enough memories. I guess I'm lucky as a fan in that sense uh, that I have as many <laughs> memories of that. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, childhood dream or, not necessarily childhood dream that he came back because there was definitely some resentment after he left in uh, 2010 or after
1: 2011.
2: Yeah. Uh, but I've come around and it's really great to see him with Yadi and Waino on their uh, retirement tour.
1: No, my my brainworms aren't like fully activated right now, and I'm not googling yet. Did they win the World Series the year he left? Like like before yeah. he left? That was before, right?
2: Yeah, they won in 2011 with. Pujols playing first and Larusa uh, managing. <laughs> then Larusa, quote unquote, retired, and Pujols left to go to the Angels, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was um, I was living in Dallas at the time and. So, you know, that the whole thing where they almost didn't win that was very devastating to a lot of kids who became Rangers fans that same year, I can promise you. Uh, there's just not that same culture, even though, like, baseball is big in Texas. I assure you there are a lot of Rangers fans out there um, who have not yet discovered they are Rangers fans because the team hasn't won enough games. And it's, it's very funny to kind of, like, contrast it against a lot of people who I know have this deep deep resentments that they've been harboring since they were just, you know, like three feet tall. And, you know, I'm proud of them. I guess I'm proud of you um, then for that. (laughs) Um, So I didn't exclusively bring you on here to just talk about, you know, being vaguely young, but not always feeling that way. And um, our particular, just very strange league. uh, There is like other people out there as well, who may be listening to this and, um, Maybe be interested in the water role of baseball. I brought you on because I thought this was kind of like a good time of year to kind of check in on like the, I don't just do one thing. I don't just have one thing to plug. There's a lot of chaos and we have to actually start to make sense of it all. Of it all. This baseball, you know, were about a third of the way into the season. It's starting to become that time where you actually look at the standings. People may actually make some notes that the Yankees are off to the best start and since so-and-so and people might care. So, as we kind of, like, get the ball rolling here, uh, I want to take a couple or a look at a couple of our big numbers of the week. So I'm going to, like, put you very much on the spot and try to make you guess a couple of things. I'm happy to give some hints and guidance along the way. The, the thing I want to, I'll focus on first is how a couple of different projection systems, uh, those from Fangraphs and those from FiveThirtyEight, uh, disagree most on who's going to win uh so-and-so games for the rest of the year. So the the first question I'm posing to you is exactly this. Which three teams' rest-of-season win totals do Fangraphs and five thirty eight disagree on most? Who do you want to take a stab at first? My my first guess is going to be the Twins. <laughs> tell me why before I tell you that it's wrong. It is wrong, but it's not them. What, what makes you think the Twins?
2: Personally, I don't think they're overperforming, but I don't think a lot of people had them in this position um, come June 8th. And I could see the projection systems kind of differing on where they stand right now and where they're going to go the rest of the season.
1: That is like exactly the sort of uh, like line of thinking I have when I started pulling this all together. And if I remember correctly, they have essentially like the same uh, win totals projected for both, which is an interesting kind of thing that I plan to talk about more in a second. But I'm going to let you uh, take another shot. I'm going to give you like five guesses in total if that sounds good. Uh who's your who's your second you want to try out?
2: Um let's see. I'm going to guess
1: maybe the Dodgers? You have That's got kinda... actually number 1 on the list with the Dodgers. Uh yeah. Um and the reason there is really simple. They're projected to win a lot of games and what makes for a lot of games um differs really greatly. Uh so fan graphs projects them for 95.8 they're bold enough to add a decimal at the end uh wins for the rest of the season whereas 538 has them at 101 and that kind of like and i don't think 538 comes into like the parlance of a lot of people who like think about uh fantasy baseball uh there's some people who think nate silver is not as good at things but also i think they do a pretty good job of like showing what their model does uh Grass is like zips roster resource base which i think has maybe like too bad of a reputation for the community but we always use the stats so i hope that's a window into maybe where the rest of this is going uh who else did you want to guess then
2: uh i'll just go right back uh to the top and guess the yankees as well they are second on the list I, yes <laughs> i happen to see uh a couple of weeks or last week i was looking at uh some uh uh luck on baseball reference to see who's outperforming the run differential and underperforming. And I know the mm-hmm. Yankees have been somehow underperforming their run differential so yeah, far this year, which really is hilarious. <laughs> absurd to think about.
1: Um, yeah. So that's the, it, just kind to give you guys at home who aren't looking at me highlighting the part of a rundown that Nate can't see here. Uh, yeah. Fangraphs has uh, Yankees projected as of uh, Wednesday morning, when I pulled this for 99.9 wins for the rest of the season, uh, 538 has him at 104. Again, a little bit bolder on both counts. Uh, so you got one more to get. I'll, I'll give you, I guess you get two more shots at it for a third team here.
2: For a third team.
1: I'll
2: go with, hmm. I'll go with the angels.
1: You know, they were also one that came to mind. They have the exact same projection. So I have a backup in front of me. Um, Rest of season, the Angels are projected for or 81.3 from fan graphs And from 538, they are projected... Oh, gotta scroll way more down than I used to for them. Uh, for 81 wins. So they, despite the huge mountain of playoff probability they've lost in the past couple of weeks, um, they both live in the exact same spot for these two different uh, ways numbers are crunched. Uh, for those of you guys, like, are you familiar at all with like how 538 does its like forecasting? like for wins, not at all okay cool uh it's kind of interesting and it's something that gets stolen from like soccer and chess so they like do an elo based system where you like basically take points off other people and it like changes your ranking and their model tries to like make sure that like the number of points you take off of them actually helps them predict as best as possible it makes a good deal of sense and they do some like pitcher adjusting stuff so like you know if all of a sudden your rotation has uh one fewer uh i don't know uh jacob de in it than he used to Things adjust accordingly. It's pretty nifty and it like makes a good amount of sense to me intuitively. There's some people who might say, like, you know, go put your actual money on it, like, you cowards. because uh, they are very aggressive in their odds, is the the end thing. Like FanGraphs is just, like very, very, very conservative in terms of like where everyone lands. Uh but five thirty eight ends up being, you know, pretty bold about where its projections are going to land. If you look at NBA Finals forecasting, anything else, they're more inclined to call someone the favorite instead of just calling it a toss up, no matter what. With that in mind, give you one more shot at the last person on the or the last team on the list here.
2: I'm gonna go back to kind of streaky and against expectation teams and guess the White Sox.
1: They are not it. I think they are also in the exact same prediction camp. But I want to check. I want to double check this. Fangraphs has them at 85.5, and uh. 530 has met 86 wins. Interestingly so both, here, yeah, both so th-
2: having them figuring it out as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, yeah, actually that's that's kind of like the interesting thing that I kept finding here is like very different approaches. One is like a player hitter slash pitcher, like forecasting based war, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, very granular, and the other one kind of goes on the team level, and they both land at like roughly the exact same place with very similar playoff odds for both teams, or for all teams, essentially. And it's kind of shocking to me that, like, there is this kind of, like, computer-generated conventional wisdom that just appears out of thin air. It's not thin air, but, you know, it's fun to pretend. And the the last team on the list here actually is, um, well, I, I hate to say it for the handful of fans that they have who have been very loud and very good over the past few years, but the Kansas City Royals who have been um, really Ooh, bad that was my that was my <laughs>
2: my next guess I was I wasn't sure how uh, I wasn't sure how bad uh, people have adjusted them to be at this point I
1: that is exactly the theme of all this thing yeah exactly it's like how much are you willing to just ride the course of things or how much are you willing to adjust uh, to like change direction and 538 hasn't at 62 rest of season whereas uh Fangraphs has them at 65.8. So they're all like about four games different at the max end. Uh, I said earlier uh, that I thought you did something kind of neat in terms of like some data set stuff in one of your pieces recently. So now you Jordan an Oliver piece. You noted that there was like 37 people who since I don't remember what year, it's like about the past decade or so, who have a thousand played appearances in a 130 WRC+. And you use that yeah, like, it was. A- what year was that? It Yeah,
2: it was uh, since 2010. Uh, I forgot the plate appearance threshold, um, but it was 130 WRC plus or better.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, and
2: it yielded 27, and this was for uh, batting average on balls in play. Yeah. Uh, and it yielded 37 players, which I thought for the sake of the article I was writing and looking at, you know, extended sample sizes of, betting average on balls and play that was a sufficient amount and jose bautista had a 260 <laughs> betting average on balls and play <laughs> while holding a 130 wrc plus i don't know how that's possible
1: yeah no I-, I thought that was a really nifty trick you did and i, I bring that up in this exact context because it's a-, it's a big sample for a thing that like you don't really know like is that a lot is for a lot well for like differences in wins it seems like it's a lot for Babip in your case i I think that the context you brought up in is like uh you like career Babip was like exactly in the middle of the set and then his this season at like was like way off the charts below it which i think did a really good job of showing it's like yeah we should expect this to not be the the way it is currently um in that sense yes yeah yeah
2: i i thought it was neat i just looked at it um 'Cause Jordan Alvarez, I mean, he has still been on a tear, so I don't know how much is <laughs> this has changed in the yeah the week because it seems he has just not stopped hitting. But he had a two forty three batting average on balls in play. Which for you look at his savant page, you look at just his surface level stats. Yeah, yeah. That's not gonna hold.
1: Yeah. Let's see. I, I'm I'm pulling up his uh his page and I I'm sure something is not quite Okay. Yeah, he's up to two eighty one on the year right now, so I, I think so. It's things... already
2: literally jumped forty points.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's the fun part of like, I, I can't stop just trying to say everything's on theme, so I'm gonna try to stop. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like a, a pretty it good is encapsulation, on theme, though. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good encapsulation of the same problem we're having here with Teams, and that's um, something that I'm trying to wrap my head around in terms of like, are these systems, and are we collectively going to start to change our minds on Teams? So, with that in mind, like. Do you kind of see yourself more as, like, the reactionary, like, 538 sort of thing where, like, you see a team off to a hot start, you're really willing to believe it? Or do you tend to kind of place yourself more in that fan bucket of writing it out, assuming things will come back to normal and that the White Sox will uh, beat the Twins to the AL Central pennant or whatever?
2: Well, I don't think the White Sox are going to catch the Twins because I think people were just under-projecting the Twins to begin with. That's fair. I'm, I'm more of someone to kind of ride out what I originally believe in. All right. I'm so, not one to I'll see the I'll see the data at first and like what makes sense there, and until it takes you know the as we were talking about before the sufficient sample size, enough amount of data. Where it's like okay, yeah, like things might not actually change.
1: I feel like uh, the the missing ingredient to that conversation then is maybe just like a sufficiently spicy like baseline level of expectations that you're willing to stick to, or something like that.
2: Yeah, and I think it, a lot of it comes with, especially when it ta- talking about team predictions. Like everyone has a polarizing opinion about a specific team,
1: right? Right.
2: And it's harder to do that about a specific player. Like I have no you know, emotional reason for why I believe Yandi Diaz's OBP is going to stick for the rest of the year. Like, <laughs>
1: I just... See, that's what makes you I different don't know. than me. I, I have some weird emotional connections to, like, players I've staked out takes on, and like, I have to really turn it off. It's its its rough. I,
2: I do as well, but I, it's not nearly as overwhelming as the 30 MLB teams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. That's fair. I had a second part of this, and so I'm gonna run through it a little bit quicker. the The part two here is the like, like the flip side of like the wins instead of the playoff odds uh, differences. So, which three teams playoff odds do you think these systems uh, disagreed on most? We've done all the preamble about why they disagree. Who do you think? Uh, and I'll give you some, some credit. sorry some context here, not credit. Eight and a half percent is like the difference here. Uh, between these different like will they make the playoff odds oh and just a reminder for you those of you guys who forgot uh there are going to be 12 playoff teams this year right uh we got three wild yep, card slots cool. it's this does change some things slightly so if you're like how does anyone that on this is on this list have a shot or not have a shot that that is part of this so who do you want to guess uh they're disagreeing most on for uh, playoff races
2: i will first guess the red sox
1: uh, they, I think that's not a bad guess, but I don't think they, they quite made it. They were just a little bit below the cutoff. So, uh, 51% for 538 versus, uh, that is, oh, 53%. Nope. They're, they're very much in the line with each other. Their, their percentages just changed this year. So I saw that line graph and that's in my head. Uh, give you another shot here. Let's just get three in total here. See if you can get any of them. Uh, I'll go with the Braves. Um, I be- believe they are second on. They are th- no, they did not make it. Uh, they were they're right in that bunch. They're really close. Uh, I need to like remember to look at my notes whenever I put these down. Yeah, so seventy four percent from FanGraphs and uh, from five thirty eight, they are. Let's see if I can find their logo on my list. Uh, sixty six percent. So yeah, they're like they're close, but not. Qu- but they didn't. They just like barely fell under. So I, I think they're, like, probably like four, fifth or sixth year. I, like, didn't pull this in a list manually where I have it, like, one through 30. I'm, like, having to go back and do it again because it's weird. Yeah, no, like... I see
2: how you, how you have it wonderfully crafted, hidden in white text on a Google Google Sheet. <laughs> it's it's definitely a high little pro- bit High production value.
1: <laughs> I love to make a, a podcast a visual medium, you know? Yes. Um, one last shot here. My next guess,
2: I'm just running through... Uh, Second place and third place teams that are like that's yeah, that's basically the thought, right?
1: Yeah, so I don't
2: think it's anyone at the top or at the bottom, so I'm gonna go with my Cardinals,
1: they are third, so it will give you credit as one for three. Yeah, uh, 56.7 versus 65, so uh, 538 is a little bit more in favor of the. Cardinals playoff odds here Which I, I should note, the central divisions Across the board are all kind of like a Somebody has to make it But, what, but not more than one somebody Seems to be the statistical uh, so do, do you think The Cardinals can or win, will win their
2: division? I don't think they're going to win The division, I think they'll be able They'll get to 84 wins at a minimum It depends on everyone else If that's going to get them a wild card spot I do know that Fangraphs historically has always underprojected the Cardinals. I think they're, the Cardinals, it's at least five and definitely probably more, I don't remember the stat, have overperformed their Zips projections and Zips run total. Um, so Fangraphs has always been down on them, whether that's Devil Magic or whatever you want to credit the Cardinals' success to being, um, that's probably it. But I think they'll. I think they'll put themselves, you know, last weekend of the season with a chance, but that'll be about it.
1: I, I imagine that has to be a non-terrible place to be. Uh, they are projected for 86 and 88 wins, uh, respectively, from fan and 538. So your 84 is actually probably a little bit low for what would get them in, I think. Um, the NL West has some really bad teams. I think that's really changing some things. That said, uh, the Giants are the ones that they're differ- disagreeing with second most which i guess makes sense fan is kind of holding firm that last season wasn't a fluke and 538 says hey where did all of your good players go um whereas the guardians are uh, kind of just snuck in by some like weird fluke ish stuff um or 19 versus 30 percent. so i'm kind of of the mind that 19 and 30 percent sound like nothing way too often like 19 percent is joey gallo 30% is, you know, take your pick there, but uh, we don't project people to, to hit 300, uh, but, you know, I guess go ahead and say Merrifield if it makes you feel happy, but, like, in my mind, it's like, yeah, I way, they're not going to make it, and uh, it's interesting kind of how that goes, so. Um, yeah,
2: I wonder, I wonder, actually, if that's a, uh, a byproduct of, as you said earlier, the fan, the fan graphs, you know, sticking to what they did earlier, mm-hmm. and. 538 adjusting for the angels who seemingly locked up a wild card spot (laughs) a month and a half into the season.
1: It looks a little different now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably a pretty good take on all of this. So um, I thought this was a fun kind of way to like start to put our eye on these sorts of things Um, going into the season. Like who was your like spicy take about who would or wouldn't make the playoffs? Is there like one team that kind of came to mind that you're like, ready to stake out a position on, you know, two months ago?
2: I had the Twins winning the AL Central um, going into the year. Is that exclusively
1: is, or just in part because of Tony La Russa managing the White Sox?
2: It's partly that, which is bad because I lightly root for the White Sox as my uh, second favorite team because I'm from Chicago.
1: And root against the Cubs?
2: But, and, you know, obviously root against the Cubs, it it h- helps, Um. But I don't know. I just they had a lot of high variability guys, and I haven't been the biggest fan of their pitching staff. And I just yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Tony Larusa. I'm not sure how he ended up back managing, especially that White Sox team. But also the the Twins are fun. I really like I mm-hmm. really like Joe Ryan. He's fun to watch pitch, and the offense kind of makes it work. And I think I think they'll be able to to hold through, assuming Buxton is able to actually get healthy, because yeah. it seems like he's trying to play through injury. Never um, fun.
1: I um, My family's from Winnipeg, uh, so, like, the Twins were the local team for some of them, and, like, there was some good feelings there. The, like, people I've met who are Twins fans long since any of that have all been some great folks, uh, and I just feel like that's a team that I've always been kind of uh, ready to cheer for, especially at the expense of whoever else you know I like to see the Dolans fail in Cleveland I, I like to see like the White Sox tumble a little bit too often I will admit to any of my White Sox cheering friends who are like there are a lot of good White Sox folks online unfortunately uh you know I just find myself kind of cheering against like teams with bad ownership and they're just a lot of those they play so that's a, that's a as a as a
2: former <laughs> St. Louis Rams fan and now uh I know you're a soccer fan. I don't know how many soccer fan listeners we have, but anti- I am strongly anti Stan Kroenke and uh, <laughs> the Rams, the Colorado Avalanche, the Nuggets, Arsenal. Um, yeah, it's I totally understand that. I
1: appreciate you fighting the good fight there. Yeah, I I feel like going into the season, I like the only team that I felt pretty strongly like, no, it's not going to work was probably Atlanta, and like the data kind of seems like they aren't awful and might get better and again that was just very much like a who's pitching for them also who's hitting for them also all of y'all are just definitely drinking the they just won the world series so they must be good cool and yet like i kind of feel like the level-headed folks are like probably like you know they're kind of what we thought they were maybe a little bit better um so that's kind of like the. it just wasn't spicy one way or another i wasn't disastrously wrong yet and like as a result I'm willing to ride that takeout a little bit more than I need to. I just don't know who else in the National League is going to take a playoff spot away from them. So, um, you know, it's it's weird. Like, it, it, when you go down the list and you're like, I want to like stake out some position, I want to disagree with these odds, I want to disagree with these things. Like, you just kind of run out of takes you can have. Cause as you said, there's only like 30 teams until all of them get in.
3: So,
2: but I think, but I think a lot of that's to when we were looking at the, the projected win-loss totals Mm -hmm. and four games seems like a lot it is when you want to when you want to put a stake into like a hot take that has that when you want them when you think the Mets may win 90 games when they're projected to win 95 you don't like that doesn't sound like a lot
1: but like but it's actually a a significant
2: difference
1: I, I guess I hadn't wrapped my head around like the these teams are projected for, like, half a game different between these two systems, and yet, like, the playoff outcomes that are gigantic. Like, we think about that all the time in terms of, like, how much a dollar calculator will spit out for so-and-so in the in the preseason. We think about that, like, greatly when it terms to, like, should I draft this guy in the second or the first or the fifth and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's interesting to kind of turn that table and just turn my head on in that sort of way. We will get to some dudes, finally, Um, our favorite pastime uh, here and everywhere in the baseball podcasting community. Uh, But before that, we're going to take a very quick break. All right, Nate, we're back uh, trying to turn the conversation a little bit from teams, which I, I think was a pretty good kind of like window into your mindset and also like the fun stuff of all this. That's not just did I lose my matchup this week? Um, I'm interested in taking a look at which players the first third of the season uh, have like really forced us to change our opinions the most. Uh I don't really want you to just take a victory or defeat lap, though if you're really ready to put on your uh, joggers and go for it, uh, I mean, go for it. I kind of want to just, like, continue to take a window into, like, how someone else who's, like, wants to dig into savant pages as much as I do is going at this. Because we're not, like, doing it exactly the same. But I know that we ended up drafting a few of the same guys to our detriment or not this offseason. So uh, let's kind of just take that as, like, a little step back in terms of like trying to figure out if a guy has been good. And if you're willing to buy into them, you said you, you look a lot into savant and Fangrass and stuff. So like, what does like a, I don't know, pick your poison on a guy and what that take uh journey might look like. And, And, and talk me through like what you care about most.
2: I think what I care about most, I mean, obviously it's split between looking at hitters and looking at pitchers. I think most importantly for pitchers, my go-to stat, while not a savant stat, is simply uh, strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. I think it is such a telling stat of, you know, how many productive strikeouts is this guy getting? Is the command Mm -hmm. enough to make it work? And almost like 90% of the time, a good strikeout minus walk ratio means that a pitcher is doing well. The, the weird case of that was, I was actually looking at today, was Dakota Hudson, <laughs> whose 3.8% strikeout minus walk uh, percent <laughs> is by far the worst in baseball among qualified starters. He has a sub-3 <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> ERA. It it really does not make any sense, other than that the Cardinals have a really good defense, and he's one of the best uh, ground ball-inducing pitchers in baseball. That's but It's so funny. That's poor command and a sinker baller it just it doesn't make sense from a tools perspective of fantasy baseball I have to look and baseball up. in general um,
1: so are you someone who uses the pl player pages at all
2: yeah i use the player pages pretty consistently i usually go to I savant first that, yeah. i just have been i think pavloved and pavloved into going to savant pages first but number two is now the pictureless player pages over fan graphs It's just it's a great place and I love the the best part I think is honestly yep. the game logs. The game logs and the um, the pitch breakdowns of per start is usually a couple of extra mm-hmm. clicks wherever else you go but we have it kind of right there at the ready which is so I helpful note, even though was, like clearly
1: drinkers as ourselves it's probably important to say like i know what i want from different places like there were things i will go to fan graphs for for sure there are like three things i will go to baseball reference for at it it's a very short list it's pretty much all like team stats i like the way they like lay out some like really ridiculous and small things and then also sometimes i just want to know when like f4 is lying to me but like it's it's good to kind of know that i, I pulled up hudson's uh page is kind of just like a here's a dude that i don't think either of us care deeply about for any sort of fantasy reason that's an interesting thing yeah so um what is it? you said it was like 3.7 percent they it was this like, three yeah 3.8% i think yeah yeah he's got i i remember i pulled something up earlier and he was like at the very bottom of the list too he is 171st among starting pitchers in hard contact rate that's bad uh so <laughs> and 10th in ground ball rate so you can see there there is one good thing among like the red bars that uh Nick Pollock and Co have like laid on on this page and uh that is that is actually something like i don't have a great scale for uh ground ball rate so i have to like make sure that i have something like this to tell me is that good uh because you know it's important i think k-, k minus bb is really easy for that at this point for me like 20 ish percent is kind of like the cliff where yeah this guy's actually doing pretty well i trust it i mean it's not it's not everything but i think jeff summerman regularly says like 90 percent of everything can be predicted by a, and like i would i'd hope not and i hope we can beat that but like if we can't that's pretty good like, the, like, not ever, it doesn't predict ninety percent of everything. It's just like ninety percent of the predictive power that we have comes from k minus bb.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a really good stat, and it's I think fascinating in the sense that it's such yeah, a simple yeah. stat, like on the surface level, and what we have access to, and yeah. the fact that it works is pretty cool. And it's do you have super any, like, easy like, emotional
1: opinions about like k? to bb ratio as a result of like your exposure to this i guess again we're getting into the real nerd hours here but like does k over bb like bother you in the same way that it bothers me as a result of this
2: (laughs) yes the like the per nine stats and the ratio like it's just i just kind of avoid it and i go out of my way to not see it because i know it will either a confuse me because i have no baseline for what they are or b just Frustrate See, me! I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm I, here I for other numbers. It's Really,
1: a product of like what we've consumed and like the fake Billy Bean reactionary. Like, we're so smart people, like us. Uh, you know, like can't digest everything in the same way uh, as as people who've grown up on it. And it's interesting to talk to people. They're like, Yeah, I just know what a good K per nine is, and I feel comfortable with it. And like, K per nine is just how many of your outs were strikeouts, which doesn't even like make you better necessarily it does kind of but like it's so but weird. it's also
2: but it's also super at least as a as a kid when i grew up playing baseball yeah, it was it super is. easy k per nine you had a k per nine higher higher than nine you were striking out more than one guy in yeah, inning, and that was considered good it's nice and i think the at least for me i've yeah it's nice i've gotten into the the fantasy baseball space super quickly and getting adjusted to one the the stats that everyone uses but also figuring out why they use them i think is yep. one of the most important things i really enjoy all of the the articles that are like we're thinking about stat xyz <laughs> wrong and like actual the actual research behind why things matter and why things are actually used is really interesting and actually furthers the the fantasy baseball now, uh, this is discourse.
1: definitely a uh, question for the keith olbermans and the other folks out there did you actively think about your launch angle as you swung as a kid? Were you trying to exwoba as much as you could?
2: Of course, obviously, I was. You know, I was out there with a the protractor, uh, swinging the t ball. Uh, and all seriously, you know, how much baseball no, did you actually play? Kind of uh, curious. I played a decent amount. I played all the way up uh, through high school. Uh, tried to play in college, that didn't work. Um, then in a rec league game. Uh, this, this is a very fun story, and I almost hate that I'm telling this on air of a podcast, but in the summer of 2020, in a rec league game, I threw somewhere north of 150 <laughs> oh no. pitches, um, struck out 16 in a seven inning game, so we'll take that, but my elbow has not been the same ever since. And uh, I'm hopefully dealing with that eventually, but it's uh, that's where the baseball uh, the baseball adventure
1: starts and uh, ends. I, I'm almost speechless at that. That's that's incredible. I, I wish I'd asked that at the top, uh, but I think that kind of like explains a little bit of like the um, I, when I read your stuff. There's definitely like a I'm going to throw some video because you want some video. I never pull images of like make people swings and stuff like that because like I don't know what I'm looking for. I quit playing baseball. Uh, about sixth grade I started playing baseball in about fourth grade and I wore Rex specs you can probably imagine how many hits I got um
2: I also wore Rex specs so uh it's it's part of the experience I think it added to the the weird lefty <laughs> pitcherness that I had I bet um so it all kind of like Joe Kelly ask if you will with Rex specs but also a small child oh, yeah. so um
1: okay I think th- that gives me a pretty good window into like what you're looking for I pulled i pulled up your jordan alvarez piece like earlier today uh to like just see it again and there's a gif in there where like it like the first second or so is just like someone eating a hot dog before it like goes back to the game and it is so funny to me um
2: that's just my poor my poor it was was definitely
1: like better as a result of it okay with with that kind of better window uh in mind um I, I want to ask, like, the opposite question. Like, what's, like, the bad angel on your shoulder or, like, sort of, like, bad habit stats or, like, data sources or, like, habits you have that you have a hard time ignoring when it comes to, like, managing teams and, like, evaluating people?
2: I think I have a really bad track record of going, uh, going based on age right now. I think we've seen a massive shift in prospects and their development. I don't know if it was because of the pandemic and the missed minor league season or just the product of we've now gotten out of the Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh Ronald acuna who just were stars mm-hmm. the second they started hitting the ball. But like that's not how it goes for yeah. all of the top prospects. Like you look at the one of my favorite things to do is if you go into MLB pipeline, oh, yeah, you can yeah. go back uh I don't know how far, but you can see some of the top ten, top fifteen prospects And there are some names that are like, wow, he turned out to be like a, you know, everyday player for someone. Just not great, not phenomenal, but still a serviceable player. And I think that we're really expecting the world. And with that, I've often found myself drafting guys too hard. I'm still a believer in uh, Jared Kelnick. um, I didn't bring that piece up. (laughs) As well as uh, maybe this is... uh, uh, in the league that we're both in, I'm a believer in Gavin Lux and Joe Adele. Um, But it's prospect development is different for everyone. And I don't think the industry as a whole has recognized that it's either you're taking the world by storm to start or you're a complete bust. Um, I have up in the between.
1: 2011 rankings which are the uh, the earliest they go back which is Mike Trout number 1, I should note. So they basically have all of baseball history that matters up here. Uh the top 5 prospects on this list are Mike Trout, Jeremy Hellickson, Bryce Harper, Dominic Brown and Dustin ackley Uh some other big names towards the top 25 or so is Roldis Chapman, Mike Nostakis, Eric Hosmer, um we have mike montgomery will myers freddie freeman Jamison tyone zach Britton, martin perez manny machado and chris sale are all in the top 25 so those are some good names yeah so yeah it's a it's a good mix of of some good names but also some guys who either a just completely flamed out or became yeah, regulars for a here. few years uh matt moore Brandon belt who's good like i'm just like wow, they they did a pretty good job. And you see like Tyler Matsek and you're like, oh yeah. And an okay career. Like Aaron Hicks as a top, It just like blows my mind to think that Aaron Hicks was like a like a top prospect. But like wasn't everyone kind of in their own way? I you know like how many people like most people were highly rated. Like
2: <laughs> you have to be like yes baseball baseball's a massive massive sport with however many leagues, but you still need to be the the best yeah. of the best to actually Get the call, which I don't think people that's a, that's a, that's realize. That's a good window, actually.
1: Uh, I keep saying that. That's like a weird way. That's a that's a good thing to look back into, like, using that metaphor differently. on uh, um, you know, like what sort of nonsense what we were doing a decade ago. I'm sure the scouting's gotten better, though, also. So we probably have a better idea of who should be good. And yet, like you look at that list, and like most of those guys were actually pretty much fine. <laughs> so I think that's a good sort of nerve calming. But also, I do not know how many years it took Brandon Belt to be a really good player, and it may have been um way more than he wished at times uh i also yeah and i also think it's an accessibility thing
2: like there are so many more Mm, minor mm -hmm. league games that are broadcast and we have access to those stats we're like i don't think i just read a great piece on the athletic talking about mike trout uh playing for i forgot which minor league team but it was one of one of his stops before he became the yeah i think it was iowa um, where everyone there knew he was the best player, but obviously it hadn't hit, you know, the full baseball world. And obviously the the baseball world, the digital baseball world has grown so much yeah, recently. There was a great
1: image or tweet from that. Yeah, the, 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 the piece there is uh, the Angels Mike Trout became a superstar during one Iowa summer. Uh, a time we'll never forget. There is a a bit in there is like, like how did he get all that extra power? He's like beating, eating steaks and drinking Pepsi. (laughs) And like, yeah, that's clearly the secret to this all. Um, All right. So let's, let's go ahead and get into some guys here. Uh, The first question that I want to ask is like, which player so far this year has kind of forced you into changing your opinion most. Uh, I'll let you do one. And then I'm going to do one. Uh, So, so far, I guess we've only had fifty-five games or so. Who has like swayed things most for you?
2: Um, maybe this is the the cardinal bias, but really, Tyler okay
1: O'Neal. Talk me through that, because um, I I, I kind of just feel like he's been hurt. Yeah. Like, has there been something else in there that's been scary for you? He did go down. He he
2: did go down with an injury, and um. I was never, honestly, a massive fan. The OBP wasn't great, right? Honestly, the eye test. Um, It was just, he looked overmatched Mm -hmm. a lot of the time on his swings and misses, and his whiff rate was always awful. And it's like, guys will figure it out once he's able to figure it out. And last year, he figured it out. He hit 287 with awful plate discipline, which is pretty hard to do outside of like tim anderson who and swings his, at everything and Tim
1: Anderson's strikeout night rate has like cratered this year and in the good way to like to almost nothing so yeah, i think you've got to be like a freak like him to make anything even close to that possible god
2: and i think pitchers i don't have the exact info in front of me on what pitchers are throwing that have actually got him to to struggle a bit but it's like oh okay you know this isn't that great and I think we've already seen a ceiling. I realize that's not exactly the question you asked, but it's probably one of the people that I think I just, their stats have most solidly impacted my opinion I had so, on them going like, into the year.
1: You were a little bit out. Was it more just like a the way that you're able to kind of like feel about all of that has changed and like, okay. Yeah I, I feel like, yeah. I feel like I get that. And I think it's more that it's more that okay. I'm
2: way out now. Granted he has now had, uh, he now had two hits last night and he's homered tonight on uh
1: so that's that's Wednesday, how it happens you're instantly wrong second you deliver a take uh and that's like that's just the rule yeah so his ex batting average last year was 279 uh and his actual batting average last year was uh 286 and you're like oh that sounds pretty good right the sort of stuff that i'm always looking at that i'm like a little bit off his like sweet spot rate last year jumped from like a career like not very good to like a way above like league, league average and probably unsustainable 39.9 percent rate like 33s average if you're sitting around 40 that's like standard deviation plus plus. and if you're a guy with a big whiff rate who's got a really good sweet spot rate either you got mad lucky or you're actively guessing either way you're probably getting figured out i feel uh or something's coming back to earth he has actually kept up the line drives in sweet spot. He's, like, sitting at like a 30% line drive rate this year. And the strikeout rate's basically exactly the same. He's just not hitting the ball hard. It's kind of the odd thing. That doesn't feel like it should be right, though. I Like, what it I'm, I'm assuming you've seen some of these plate appearances from him. Like, has it just been, like... I, I can't square up mentally how he's squaring it up but not al- also not hitting it hard when he swings like I think he does. Do you have any thoughts about how that could even all be possible? It's a lot of it's a lot of
2: not exenial contact contact, but he's putting the ball in play on swings he's not mm. trying to or they okay. should be swings and misses where it turns out it turns out to be something that's a little squibber mm. okay. or you know, I mean, we've all seen his massive forearms, but he just gets the barrel on the ball and dinks it as a fly ball out to right field when it could be a lot better. And it just, it seemed like he wasn't Mm. comfortable at the plate. And I don't know if he had an injury that it finally took them a little bit to do something about before he went onto the IL, but uh, maybe he's figured it out and uh, I'm about to eat my words, which as a Cardinal fan, I'm like looking at some
1: of his rolling charts and it's like, it's trending down still. Yeah, that's an interesting sort of thing where it's like, if I'm looking at what I would expect to be believable, like the the strikeout and walk stuff is the same as last year. Does that scare you more or less? Well, it was really bad last year, and he did a lot of things that aren't supposed to be sustainable. And then it's like the things that are supposed to have kept up haven't kept up, and the stuff that was supposed to break didn't break. It's That is such a confusing profile. So I was actually going to ask you in a moment. The next one I was going to get to is, like, which players are you most indecisive about? This would actually be exactly the sort of dude who would fit into that for me. I wouldn't be, like, full sell, like, get this guy away from my team and maybe away from my league sort of panic mode or anything like that. But, like, I would definitely not be able to piece all this together. It's also really funny to me that you brought him up because the guy I had is, like, I'm most willing to be, like, out on. I am like most ready to be like, yeah, this is it. I'm done. Was Joey Gallo, who uh, it's not the same, but it, but, but isn't it in its own kind of strange way? But
2: it is. I was I saw that on the rundown, and I was looking into the numbers, and it's like I don't, I don't know. It's the stats and the the underlying numbers seem like he's not. There isn't that much that yes, has changed. I agree with you, actually. But I think I think I think similar to O'Neill. And that he's doing a bunch of things that are unsustainable. How much faith do you want to put into a guy who at his peak can yeah, get too
1: Yeah, and like, it's so funny to say, oh, it's like, oh, that's that's so backward. That's, are we too young to say that sort of stuff? Or however, like, nonsense you want to say it right there. Right? Um The thing that was kind of like the big like, oh, aha moment for me is like he's always been a big walk rate guy. And like the numbers that I like to look at for like hard contact or barrels for PA do get affected by a high walk rate. You should like add them together in some way. You know, like hard contact plus walks is a nice like how many of your plate appearances were good metric. And he's often been really good by that. Um, Last year, he walked 18% of the time. That's really good. Hard contact 21% of the time sounds bad. Beat it up together. That's 40% of play- player appearances that are like a pretty good event for you. This year he's lost a third of those walks. And like he's hitting the ball hard a reasonable amount, but it's kind of just the same old, same old. The result has been a 288 OBP. And like you, you say yourself, like shouldn't he be like doing well in the Yankee stadium? They like get that like sweet short porch. He doesn't need a short porch. He just needs like, confidence and contact right and it's such like a backwards way of thinking about it but he's got six home runs he's got 10 rbi and like it just nothing is clicking right now in terms of like what it all looks like and i think i'm having this aha no this is actually what bad looks like just because in 2019 when like the world was broken he was able to hit uh he had 253 that year um
2: (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean <laughs> Then exactly. again who didn't? Exactly. Um, uh I was pulling up I somehow I don't know that it's either time's moving fast or whatever, but how absurd Pete Alonso's yeah. twenty nineteen yeah. is. Fifty three homers and solid batting average. It's cool.
1: uh, ridiculous. So with that like big confidence and like absolute clarity moment out of the way I wanna kinda of flip the script and ask then what who has like confused you most? this year who's been like the hardest for you to kind of like get a good read on uh jeff mcneil <laughs> i i can't imagine having a strong opinion about jeff mcneil as it is no longer 2019 that was his big year right that was he's his big 2019? year and then it fell apart yeah, and of now course. of course it was. it's back he doesn't sound like he should be back this year isn't the ball dead
2: <laughs> he still has a really good strikeout rate and he's hitting like three something on fastballs i think and it's seemingly coming together for him.
3: Huh.
2: Yeah. even with even with bad exit velocity stats and bad uh, hard contact rates, it's still kind of working, and I don't exactly understand.
1: Yeah The Mets as a whole have kind of succeeded without like crushing the ball. I've just been like really good at spray distribution or whatever you want to call it, just hitting it where they ain't. Or whatever. I guess that's why they pay two hundred and fifty million dollars to these guys is because they're really good at that skill or something. Um, but yeah, I like have a spray chart up, and it's like it's all over the place. Uh, he's got some really funny doubles right over the first baseman's head, and some funny doubles right over the third baseman's head, and a whole lot of singles and a lot of other random spots. And he has like not I, th- I think he had a home run in the first game like well, not the first game of the season but like in, the, in that first series against the Nats. yeah second game of the season you know, when i was there he had a home run um and since then it's kind of just been a bunch of stuff everywhere it doesn't feel like he should be good in this rug environment though right like i get exactly why that's odd. he has 27 rbi yeah he's a
2: vi- <laughs> very much a viable fantasy player <laughs> oh, and what? i I am
1: uh, very confused by him. <laughs> I feel like the wait what reaction is the best part of this. Is this a great kind of find of it in its own way. Also his uh his like background photo, you know, you know you get your headshot and then there's like the background photo on Savon is just the like the most pained and odd photo I've seen online for a baseball player in a hot minute. So that is that is a that is a really good grab. Yeah, he's sitting on uh roughly two barrels per PA. Yeah, that's bad. Um I can't imagine that if you need to, like, win home runs or uh, steals, he's really all that helpful. But at the same time, like, the volume stats are there. And I that, that has to be, like, a, a guy that's absolutely saving people who are running the people who are acting like Prime Joey Gallo out there as well. So that's a fun one to bring up. Um, I don't know. Do you roster him anywhere? I think
2: I have him rostered in one league. Okay. But it was. Uh, I went out of my way to go pick him up because I noticed it, and he was available there, nice. and then didn't do it anywhere else. And I was like, "Oh, I don't really need the, the either the second base because I have I was able to get uh, Jazz Chisholm basically in all of my leagues, which has worked out very nicely." Mm-hmm. But I uh, I've, I've been fine without him for the most part. But he's still a weird fantasy relevant player.
1: Yeah, Jazz was on my these bad line drive stats shouldn't hold up radar for me in this offseason he liked something like the same like uh launch angle standard deviation news uh Wander franco and i was like okay so shouldn't he hit some line drives eventually and like I, was, I don't know if that's an exact science i need to look into that like i do um but i was like he should probably have a better batting average and maybe he gets better and it has been just delightful to be like wrong in the should have been more firm about that take. So that's a good call out. Um, interestingly, a guy who's going at the same range as him has kind of been my most confused player so far this year. And that's uh, Carlos Correa. Uh, you know what Carlos Correa is like in the top five in hard contact rate in baseball right now. He's been crushing the ball and like nothing did, has gone I, right for him.
2: I did actually know that, but purely from an unlucky basis <laughs> and that, For some reason, I feel like we haven't heard much about him from the Twins.
1: Yeah, I mean, you might think to yourself, it's like, okay, there haven't been that many home runs. Is he, like, hurt? Uh, If you go to pitcher list, he's 13th in hard contact rate, but I set my bar for, like, qualification whenever I do, like, my savant search for this, because I have, like, a couple of them just bookmarked. Uh, So, like, if you cut it to, like, 150 PA or something like that, I'm sure he sneaks back into the top 10. But, yeah, like, strikeout and walk rate are, like, roughly... Like the slightly worse version of like where he'd been before, but like by a point or two. So like I'm gonna call that normal. He has the same batting average as he's ever had. He just hasn't hit home runs, and yet this is like his best hard contact. And it's like the barrels are roughly there as much as they've ever been too. I imagine the move away from uh the the tiny juice box park he used to be playing in was like a a real reason to be out on him. But like this seems a bit extreme, right? So I just thought this is, like, one of those, I was taken aback by, like, him popping up because I thought he'd been doing poorly. And so I looked a little bit closer. um, And the thing that kind of stood out to me is that um, his fly ball rate has gone down a lot. He's on a 22% and up to a 52% uh, ground ball rate. So he's not quite, um, like, Dakota Hudson, but as a batter. (laughs) <laughs> i'd love to think about that by the way uh it's like <laughs> i don't know that one i'm just trying to
2: imagine who dakota hudson the hitter is <laughs>
1: um and i'm not i'm not sure i think dakota hudson as the hitter is the caricature of vlad guerrero jr uh like in his rookie year when he was just like hitting everything in the ground, or maybe it's like super prime yandy ds uh Either way, it's something like that. Probably. Yeah, no,
2: I think I think uh, rookie Vlad Guerrero is a good one, where just he's hitting everything that's you know bouncing or just not even where close to the strike zone, and it's working. <laughs> I think that's how a lot of people feel about Dakota Hudson, where it's like, I even see it on. Uh, Nick's uh start uh who to start who to sit uh for each of his starts, it's like, well, you know, it's a toss up. <laughs> no one really knows like what to do with him. Mm-hmm. But it's working and it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah. I, I should note kind of the last thing about Korea. he hit it at a three sixty Babip. I do actually think that uh given how much he's scorching the ball, that Babip's partially deserved, but like the best you're gonna get, I think, if he's continuing to like put it onto the field in this way. It's just some hope that he has someone on base in front of him. Yeah. He's at 150 PA 35 games, kind of like a little bit of a short instant so far. And he's sitting on three home runs and a total of 33 counting stats right now. And that's like, you know, quadruple that or so it's not quite science. It's right. But like, that's ugly. Um, So it's, it's kind of like a really confusing thing. We don't have a ton longer here, but I do want to make sure we can kind of end on a nice high note. And he spicy off-season takes that you feel way stronger about
2: i was big on benintendi this was mostly behind i think it was the bad axe projecting him to have a really good batting average mm-hmm. and i looked into it a little bit and i thought it was going to hold just uh The big park in Kansas City actually bodes well for him. He's not a big power guy. And I was like, oh, he seems like a guy that not a lot of people uh, were in on. And I was able to get him at the back end of a lot of drafts as my third outfielder. Mm -hmm. And that has played out beautifully. He's been fantastic as a uh, batting average guy.
1: I also just am really happy for him personally. Like, I feel like if you come into the league as a top prospect for a really good team and like get all this expectation on you it's a weird thing also he has that like beating the astros on that diving catch play it's like already like in his back pocket like i just want a guy like that to like have a fun couple of seasons and then get paid and i'm really happy that he's like getting all of that uh and like the the weird bizarro don't go to the super team in fact go to what is apparently the worst team in baseball and ball out sort of uh space yeah he's he's a guy that like I wanted to have that guy on my roster somewhere. Uh, And unfortunately um, I I only have like one share of him and instead got like a bunch of the other, like projected for somewhere between 15 and 20 steals and home runs guys, which is like Robbie Grossman, which has just been gross. Um, So that's a good one to also be in on because I feel like the process is pretty good there. Um, I want to make sure that any uh, pitcher list people are, are really aware of this one thing that I've been screaming about in different platforms, which is uh, Nick finally moved Walker Bueller farther down on the list than Chris Bassett. And uh, in the offseason, I had like worked on my ERA model a little bit and uh, Chris Bassett and Walker Bueller came out about the same in terms of like project, projected ERA. they were both like about three, seven and they had, roughly the same strikeout and walk rate and hard contact rate last year. And I was like, all right, this is a thing that I can be annoying about. And uh, unfortunately I've just been right instead of annoying. Um, So uh, Bueller tumbled down into uh, about 24 or so on the list and Bassett's up a couple slots to 13. And uh, I just want to say, Nick, if you're listening and you should be, I'm proud of you, buddy. You're doing the right thing. Um, I'm, scared for rocker bueller i hope he's okay like as a, as like a pitcher because like something he's off like he's got a 20 percent strikeout rate right now um and nothing is working and i i hope he figures it out because i like actually really liked watching him pitch but something is really off and uh he, i'm worried
2: he's fun to, he's fun to watch when he pitches and it's really weird because the the velocity isn't down it still looks like on the surface level if you watch one of his starts it appears that the stuff is all there But for some reason,
1: it's just not clicking. Yeah, his uh, he's been his pitching bot scores have been pretty good. Um, are you are are you a pitching bot guy? Yes,
2: I am becoming a pitching bot guy. That's kind of um, I only only like a month or so ago actually went to the the site and uh, did a little deep dive myself and understanding the the incredible pitch grades and uh, resources that are there. But I don't think that his fa- I think it's correct that his fastball is really struggling for some reason. Yeah, and it I just gets don't hard. know
1: why. I I think he was uh, at one point a guy who was like one of those um, vertical approach angle darlings, in addition to having like a, a really good feelo number. Right, it's just like the shapes there, and it's like the nice modern fastball, and, and it's just been lit up uh, basically for the past two years. Like if you started watching baseball at the beginning of last year, like Walker Bueller would not be an ace in your mind other than his ERA. He would be like not quite Dakota Hudson, right? And like, unfortunately, a couple other guys who were like in that profile that also have faded, have been like coming back to earth. But Buehler was like the one where it's like, I, I hate how much I feel like I'm right in some ways, because I don't want to be uh, like this right on a guy who's like this fun uh, in theory. So, well, it's, it's really uh, interesting. I just pulled up his savant
2: page. And it appears that he knows that the fastball isn't great. And I think he's just potentially learning how to become a different pitcher. Mm -hmm. In 2020, he threw the fastball 53% of the time. In 2021, he threw it 44% of the time. And now this year, he's throwing it 33% of the time. Mm -hmm. He has just tanked the usage of it entirely. And he's basically replaced it by throwing all of his off-speed more. But primarily, he's jumped the cutter up. and. Yeah, as much yeah, as baseball is, becoming, baseball is becoming a slider league, it's also becoming a cutter league. And I think if he finds a way to actually command the cutter, which by looking at his heat maps, he's throwing almost exclusively glove side, which isn't the best place to only be throwing your cutter. You need to show just a little bit more command of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He could have a potential resurgence. He's still really young. Yeah. And I think he's got a chance to have a... Maybe this is this is a stretch but a buy low, if you will. Like I think he still has the potential to get back to that ace that Ace that he once had. Yeah. It's just gonna take a little bit more tinkering.
1: Yeah, he's he's younger than Joe Musgrove. I love that. Uh and you you bring up like Musgrove's a twenty nine percent fastball, good amount of cutter, everything kind of works guy. Except he throws ninety two, uh, instead of ninety five plus. Uh where's yeah, he's sitting ninety five this year. Uh ninety seven is where Bueller was in twenty twenty and before when he was really good. Uh so he has lost a couple ticks and then like in that time since he's lost those ticks the fastball's gotten lit up. So I I know that the big drop off that you should be like absolutely most scared of is like from ninety five to ninety three in that part of the curve, but still as you go from like ninety seven to ninety five, it can't help you. Uh so that's that's a good thing to look at, and I'm sure the Dodgers will talk to him in some smart-ish ways that strikes me as a clubhouse and like a pitching coaching staff that can like try um so yeah it's also it's also the
2: Dodgers and I'm guessing that they'll find a way to make it work I don't think this is the beginning of the end for Walker Bueller
1: yeah yeah for sure um I don't know he's he's someone that I I, I also like know that when you like look through his like his uh, batted ball stats like last year he had like a 22 percent line and drive rate and i was like "That can't hold up that's why he was lucky it's, like, it's come back to earth ish and his era hasn't like fully come back to earth uh no oh, i guess he's a three eight i thought it was still like three three he had a really bad start the other day didn't he yeah he did he okay. got yeah. lit up a little bit that was the mets okay well that tracks all right well i i think that's a pretty good uh kind of like hour and a half of picking your brain and to try to figure out why I would or wouldn't trust you and uh for the most part I want to trust you uh like I like I like the way that you kind of like push me on some stuff uh in terms of like just like the basics of like go look at how people use pitches that I forget to do uh so that's that's a nice reminder to like maybe care about where people throw stuff and what it is they throw rather than just something something percent uh I'm sure there's some old people out there who will be really happy uh to bring that up at every point um do you have anything else you want to plug before we get on out of here?
2: Not really. I mean, be on the lookout for my articles in in, going de- in the Going Deep section. So, you know, as similar to this podcast. Uh, currently, I'm working on a piece looking at the effectiveness of slow curve balls. So Ooh. things thrown under 72, um, both from looking at the old guys in... Uh, Wainwright, uh, Granky, and whoever, but also like the Chris Bassett's of the world. Um, he's he's not
1: young either. <laughs> but compare for a guy throwing a okay, curveball
2: that slow, that's it's right. not because uh, his arm's been taxed with 2,000 innings. Um, but it true. is funny the <laughs> the savant searches every if I if I don't put a minimum velocity on the um, I'll still get like Albert Pujols in the search queries <laughs> because. <laughs> He was uh, throwing curveballs with like 120 inches of vertical
1: break <laughs> because, you know, gravity. <laughs> <laughs> wo gravity, really, really doing its work. Yeah, um, be on the lookout
2: for that. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter tweeting about either Savant pages or the Cardinals at uh, underscore uh, Nate Schwartz. Um, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z And you can also find me In the Pitcherless Discord Join it, it's a great place to be
1: Alright, well I think that about wraps us up I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore rate And you can find our missing host Matt Goodwin There at the Corked Matt You can also find our pod there at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us questions Please be sure to subscribe To both the Pitcherless Fantasy Baseball feed Where you can find us As well as the Pitcherless Baseball Podcast feed Leave us a good review if you feel so kind. And if you haven't already, consider becoming a PL Plus member so you can harass us in the PL Discord. Thanks for listening, and you can catch both Matt and myself next time.